You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artist intended to demystify and celebrate the classical music and opera art form. My name is John Jacob. The Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes and Audioboom. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the series via your preferred app so you'll get an alert every time a new podcast is published. This podcast is also a mild but pleasurable labour of love for which any support you can provide would be very much appreciated. To contribute to its ongoing development, visit thoroughlygood.me and click on the donate button. Got to eat, after all. Uh, Hamish, it's John Jacob. Oh, no, I'm just on the third floor, just outside the uh, theatre door. Thanks, thanks a lot. Hello. 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 Come in. Gosh, I think it's been some morning. Yeah, I'm not seeing him. He's in Bournemouth. I know, I know. Hello. 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 Some point during the afternoon. Now, if you're up for it. Now the room's got silent. Yeah. All you really need to know about podcast number 30 is that it was recorded on Wednesday, the 20th of February, at the Bussy Building in Peckham, South East London, a former Victorian cricket bat factory saved from demolition 10 years ago. It's home to a new opera, Robin Hood, premiered at the end of February, written by former Royal College of Music graduate Danny Howard. There is an infectious energy to small-scale fringe-infused endeavours like this. The excerpts you hear in between the interviews were recorded at the first playthrough with the orchestra, known in the trade as the Zitz Pro. I'm Danny Howard, I'm a composer. Tell me about this thing that is bound and on your lap, this thing with your name on, tell me about it. Well, so this is my first opera. It's been a labour of love for sure. I mean, it's it took up so much, it took up my whole life for four months and um, yeah, I'm really excited to now hear it live and hear it with the musicians and with the singers. I'm Hamish Mackay and I'm the artistic director. Well, it's the first time that we're hearing the orchestra and the singers together, yeah. which is an extremely magical moment, for me especially. It's the first time that the singers get to hear what the music is actually like, yeah. because the piano is, is, um, is brilliant for rehearsals, but it can't make all of the textures that an orchestra can make and all of those effects that Danny has written so brilliantly into her score are fully realised for the first time today. I haven't really been that close to an orchestra in rehearsal for a long, long time. And there's something, I, I mean, I, I, that's why I'm sort of slightly, slightly shell-shocked because actually when you arrive shortly before a rehearsal begins, there is uh, a level of excitement. Yeah, there's a real buzz. And it's, it's an exciting time for everyone. I mean, obviously there's still a huge amount of work to do until opening night, um, as it is the first time. But there is a real excitement. Um, it's the first time also for Danny, the composer, that she gets to hear what's been in her head. It's very difficult to explain because it's, so, it's still so fresh in my mind that, you know, maybe in six months I'll feel very differently than I do now. <coughs> 
the opera is essentially about Robin Hood dealing with the guilt of what he's done. Um, he is more human than hero. It's an unraveling of his mental stability. Um, whilst he's flawed, then he is, yeah, like like we all are. He's I'm flawed. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no, I really am not flawed. No, no, can't. Sorry. Um, it's yeah. It's a it's a story of how how he mentally unravels due to what he's done. I was talking to Hamish earlier on, and and he and I were sort of uh, pondering what the experience is like, what the emotional experience is like when you've spent the majority of your time imagining this stuff in your head. I mean, this is all an assumption on my part, but imagining it or perceiving it in your head, then hearing the piano, and then transitioning from... You're nodding in a way that says, I know what's coming. (laughs) Um, Transitioning from the piano to then hearing... What, what is that shift like? I think the strangest experience was hearing the piano because I didn't do a piano reduction. They just got absolute genius repetitors who were score reading. So there, oh is, there is no piano reduction. Um, so the repetitors were just reading this and playing the most important part. They're absolutely incredible, but there are two that have been working. And See, so, I would imagine that's a bit like going into... Sorry, I've interrupted yeah, you. No, but no, a, bit, no. a bit like somebody going into your bedroom and yeah. going, um, <laughs> well, oh, you've done that. <laughs> exactly. And so that was the strangest thing because obviously when writing, I use the piano a lot, obviously, to, to compose things. But then very quickly, I didn't write it in a very pianistic way. It doesn't suit the piano reduction that much because I wanted to write it for the instruments that were actually going to be there. Um, because I find if I write something on piano first, if I do a piano score, piano and vocal score, and then orchestrate it, I get very uncreative with the orchestration. It's I'm thinking, oh, how do I make this piano part sound good with orchestra, as opposed to thinking the opposite. Now I have all these instruments and doing things that might not suit the piano. Like there are a lot of l- held long notes that transfer between all the instruments. That sounds awful on piano, you know. You, I, and so I, I find doing it piano to orchestra limits my ability to be creative with orchestral textures. from piano to orchestra which is how you you know that's how you heard it in your head what is that experience like that was more like I, I suppose reassuring in the sense the, f- the first time hearing it with orchestra I was so relieved because you're always worried that you've totally misjudged things um, because especially with with balance it's very hard to know the full sound when when they're playing all together um, and even just the placement of you know with strings I don't do as simple as you know the bass plays the lowest note cello plays the next lowest note when you start mixing things up and integrating things you've got to be very careful of how you balance things 
and what will come out, what will actually penetrate. And so the first run is always a relief if it doesn't go horribly wrong. So is that, is that score that I'm now uh, reaching for my university orchestration course yeah. module that I did hundreds of years ago? Yeah. But is that combination of scoring, is that sort of based on prior knowledge and the rules of orchestration i mean are you are you sort of pairing stuff on on the page thinking i know that if i put this with this that will be okay i i would think it's it's less from an academic point of view of having studied orchestration it's more from the amount of music i've listened to and looked at the scores and looked at scores and gone oh that sounds amazing what is that oh it's the cello with the horns oh that sounds nice so it, it's less thinking, oh, what am I allowed to do? What, you know, yeah, it's more... Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't yeah. have rules. But, no, but, no, no, yeah. but it's definitely, you know, I love, for example, the, the how clarinets can um, transition with bowed vibraphones, for example, the, that you hear. But that only works when the clarinet's really high because I've tried it low before with other pieces and I've experimented and I've made mistakes and all that. So so there are things that I know that that will work really well, but had I did it, had I done it with the bass clarinet, it wouldn't work as well. People will be surprised to hear that you would have to go through loads of scores in order to find that out. Yeah, either... Uh, so presumably there's yeah. a lot of research necessary um, for this. It's a combination of more traditional things I've learnt from orchestral music, like old orchestral music, Strauss and, you know, Prokofiev and things like that. Um, things as specific as that has been from my own um, working with players and friends and getting them in a room and trying things out for paying them did you pay them uh, no, no they were my friends <laughs> they were while we were studying so they were very very okay, nice fine, to me okay. <laughs> and i was writing them pieces for their recitals and things it was so in kind were... support that's exactly yeah, exactly yeah, right. mutual you know love <laughs> um so i learned a lot during that period while i was studying and i experimented a lot and i spent a lot of time with individually with players of all instruments really kind of understanding things and then, yeah, just try it. I imagine, okay, trum- trumpets can transition into this, but you can you can know that trumpets are going to be really loud when they're high up, and that you know. So don't try do a yes. subtle transition up there. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you yeah, could, yeah, a lot of it is common sense as well, and um, using your imagination and concentrating when you're imagining. <laughs> but the idea that you would that you would deploy common sense in order to put together this enormous amount of work <laughs> and then even though it was common sense you'd you'd sit in the rehearsal room and go actually I really hope this is going to work. I'm yeah. not sure. I mean, is that... <laughs> there are definitely some things that I have made note not to do again. <laughs> but it's too right, late okay. to change. We don't need to go over there. It's fine. It's fine. say this now in the room when she's not here but what was it that particularly made you go actually we want to work with Danny it was primarily her orchestral sound world it's so inventive and addictive Um, when I first heard her her orchestral music within about 
two, three seconds, I knew that I wanted to hear more of her music and and I knew that I wanted her to write Robin Hood. Um, there are plenty of composers that, that I listen through to, but they don't quite match what I'm looking for for that story. Um, but then for the following months, I just kept on listening to her music because I just couldn't not. It's just... Did you realise that you were doing that? I mean, obviously, you, re- oh, yeah. you realised that you were doing it, but, but as in, did you realise that actually you were responding to its addictive quality? Yes. Yeah, instantly. I knew I would because of the type of writing that it is. There's, it's instantly recognisable, yes. but you've never heard it before. Yes. And that's, that's genius. When people come to see our shows, they often feel like they recognise things um, through, the, through the music that we, that we produce. Uh, it's not complete coincidence because the, the composers that I choose um, or that I, that I choose to work with, um, they're always writing with inspiration from the great composers of the past and and that's that's part of our well that's our main direction musically is that we want to continue working and uh, we want to continue to develop what was developed before and what what what's been produced before it sounds like you want to continue a tradition Yeah. yeah in in a sort of harmonic sense yes i want to continue that where you are you're still hearing new music but it's it's not foreign to you it's 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 still it's a phenomenally difficult thing to articulate it is, it isn't is. it yeah, I, um, I know what you mean I know yeah. exactly what you, you want it to be distinctive and exactly. there is a and there is a line yeah. and nobody knows where the line is but but we know where we found it what i'd say is that the music that we try and produce is is tonal with a twist. Um, I uh, read in an interview hurriedly that you had said that the biggest challenge for this from writing for um, you know, short orchestral pieces was coming up with musical ideas that had legs that, that, that could be used uh, extensively. How do, you, how do you know that you've got that idea? What are, what's the criteria for that kind of musical material? That's that's quite a difficult question. I, I, I think... Well, no, but I think when, when, when you do a major section which obviously consists of many different small ideas and then you you've got that that's done and then you go on to another section it quickly becomes obvious what needs to what can carry through um because it's a totally different mood and you're thinking oh this actually oh if i stretch this out and you know it's like five times slower that could actually be this you know and and then it I think it's a lot of experimenting and I I do um when I start working always in any piece once I have ideas I kind of like put them through like an ideas generator where 
it's, it's to help me when I get stuck. Is this a metaphorical thing or is it an no, actual thing? It's not, it's not a real machine or anything, no, no, but basically, say. like, I, I'll write it out and then I'll do everything just, just on a, a big piece of paper, um, nothing concrete, and I'll, like, times the rhythm by two, times it by three, times it by four, just just write it out there and then, like, flip it upside down and like, and just have them there so I, I'm, I'm aware of, like, how much I can do with it. Um, and then when I'm stuck... I kind of have a look at that sheet and and start thinking, oh, actually, that that would start on really nicely here, knowing that it's all derived from the same thing. Sometimes you forget, so it's helpful to kind of do that quite early on. And it was very obvious with some ideas that they actually could... There were loads of things you can do with it. It's a similar process to writing, then. It's taking that that initial idea and then riffing with it to see what it will yield. With no pressure, with no pressure to use any of it. And yet, you have you told me that you've done all of this in four months. So you work fast. Yeah, I had to. I didn't really have much. (laughs) Did they commission you quite late? Is that what you're saying? They actually commissioned me in loads of time. It was a combination of circumstances where I knew I knew the about the opera a year from a year ago. And basically, something came up with one of the librettists, a great project for them, that they were going to be able to send me the libretto two months later than originally planned. So I was going to have six months. And so although I, I had the summer to think about things, until you've got the libretto, that's I wanted all my ideas to be based you know, on the libretto because the words will generate rhythms and that will generate all my other ideas. So as much as I could think all I wanted to, sorry, um, I could think as much as I wanted to, but until I had the libretto, I couldn't really start anything. But that was the time I used to listen to lots of opera, understand writing for the voice, because that's not something this is I... the first time writing for the voice? For, for opera singers, yeah, for choirs. I've written for choirs before. Wow. So the really weird thing, and I have recorded this earlier, so I'm not, I'm not just, I'm, I'm a Britain fan, and in every single podcast, I managed to, you know, crowbar Britain into a podcast. But actually, when I came in, and I hadn't read that interview either, so I didn't know that you had a connection. Yeah, actually, that you liked Britain. When I heard the vocal writing to begin with, I felt like that's Britain, or I hear, I hear Britain in it, uh, and that's because. I spent ages working on Herring and Lucretia, yeah. and there is a there's a thing about Britain's vocal writing, it's which is about smart. the rhythm of the words. And, yeah, it was very smart. <laughs> yes. What a genius! <laughs> That's absolutely, that was very magnanimous of you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also hear Sondheim. Would that surprise you? No, not at all. Um, absolutely, it definitely. There's definitely elements of musical theatre, like in the sense that when I got the libretto it's only really in this Joanna character like that's the main bits which are more like that and that's because her character is almost supposed to be a a caricature of Trump-like figure um and so in those moments I wanted it to be that on I spoke a lot with the director and very intentionally very cheesy and you know and so so I was like okay if, theater, if you insist if you insist I'm happy to right, so so right. in those moments that was kind of like a joint decision on everyone's you know behalf and yeah I, I found that fun to write but yeah Oh, well, I'm glad to. I'm glad to hear that. That wasn't sort of a a, a random thing that I thought. I do sometimes worry that I hear things and think, "Oh, that sounds a bit like." And also, is that a bad thing to ask a composer? Because it is. It could be interpreted as you basically copied him. But... Well, I think it depends how it's how it's asked and like. Well, 
if they're saying you exact, exactly like if you say you heard Britain you know for me that's an honour if, if, if you do because I love Britain no part of me was trying to copy Britain but he is an influence of yes, mine of so if there's so is John Adams and, and yeah. if if these things kind of creep through it's it's natural. I think every composer you hear other composers, as long as the whole thing doesn't sound like another composer. You know, if it's a combination of different ones, then that's... It's okay, then that's, it's okay. Yeah. Don't worry, don't worry. But I'm Lord of the Perspective of a commissioner, I sort of think, how do you, how do you know that you're going to get a good? Obviously, you've got a good product at the end of it. I'm not yeah. suggesting that you haven't, but is there not a point in a commissioning process when you've sort of you put the order in, yeah, and you're waiting for the music, and you're thinking, Christ, I hope it's going to work. I, do you experience that, or am I just being deliberately? Yes. <laughs> of course, I do. Yeah, I. Well, to tell you the truth is, um, it's never as I had imagined, but on, on in the best way. Because I can't compose, I can't write. I can't, I can't apologetic I can't, about that. I can't, yeah, well, I'd love to be able to. Um, I can't direct, I can't conduct. It's... What can you do then? I, I don't know. Um, but what, what I, I guess what I can do is put all of these people together and, and handpick the people that I think that are going to work really well together and create something really special. So, that's, so how, do, how do you navigate that sort of that, that, that inevitable ne- negative thinking that you might have? Yeah. How, do you, how do you deal with that? Or maybe you don't. Maybe well, you just ignore it and hope that it will all turn no, out I mean, okay. I do a lot of research and I, I make decisions based on... On, on on what I would consider facts but in my own sense of facts and my opinions but if I have doubts then I won't go with with that decision so I only base them on if I'm 100% sure that I'm going to be happy with what I end up with you don't make impulsive decisions that's no. what you're telling me exactly and you can't and presumably you can't I afford, can't afford to. to that's right. the thing because once we've started it's it's then too late to 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 back out so it's it's an incredible amount of planning and preparation on my side that I know that I've got the right person in each position What do you think that you needed to do in order to convince the Arts Council for your funding? I think to to fill a gap in the market and to actually produce something that is of a certain quality. Um, we're, we're also, I guess, producing a lot of jobs for for a lot of really talented people. What are you doing next? Um, I am just starting my next commission. I've got a few more commissions lined up this year. Um, I'm not allowed to give too many details right now, but the two orchestras I will be working with 
uh, working for uh, the London Symphony Orchestra and the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic. Who are they? I know, I know, which I'm, <laughs> to be honest, I'm very nervous about this. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah. Every time, I yeah. I remember the name of the conductor. Is it him? Mm, Will it be him? I'm, I'm, no. You're not You're not allowed to say, or <laughs> you know not, it? No, it, it I know him. it's not okay, him. Right. <laughs> well, that makes it slightly easy, because yeah. I imagine that would be a really daunting thing. It's still daunting. Oh, okay. Orchestra. I'm trying to reassure you. Um, and, uh, but exciting, though. I mean, it yeah, really feels yeah. like you can just do anything. You know, every time I'm like, oh, that's a bit tricky. Not much rehearsal time. I'm like, no. Nope, yeah, whatever. It's the LSO. Literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite nice. Yeah. So I'm like, because if they fuck this up. And faster. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> they can do everything. Yeah. I guess we're also, the way that we produce opera, it really is for people that, that, that don't go to the opera. So I think that's, that's possibly something that they're really keen on. Um, there's a huge amount of audience that either have never been to an opera or have never been to a contemporary opera and we're, we're reaching a, yeah, a huge amount of those people which hopefully then will spill over to the rest of the industry maybe if they come to us for the first time of classical music or opera then they'll go and see something else and then something else Thoroughly good classical music podcast available on Spotify, iTunes, and Audioboom. To get in touch, tweet at Thoroughly Good, leave a message on the Thoroughly Good Facebook page, or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me.